Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Kim Scarrett, founder of the Michigan nonprofit Silver Muzzle Cottage, which provides end-of-life care for senior, disabled, and hospice dogs. Also on the show today, I am so excited to announce my role as a featured presenter on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise, and I'm inviting all of you to set sail with me to honor your grief. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Before we jump into my big announcement today, I want to let all of you know that my monthly private hangout for $33 per month Patreon supporters is happening Monday, June 25th at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Time. As a reminder, these once a month events are the exclusive rewards for listeners who choose to support the show in a very big way. So we are together for a whole hour talking about life and grief and coming back. In the past, I've recommended books to people, uh, provided insight as to how I handle my own grief off the air and taught patrons some valuable tools for dealing with grief in their day-to-day lives. So if private time with me every single month is something that resonates with you or something that you want beyond the show, or you just really would love to support the show in a bigger way, head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby and pledge to support this podcast at the highest level. You'll get instant access to the link to join the Google Hangout, and I will see you there on Monday, June 25th. Alrighty, now on to the very, very, oh my gosh, mega big news this week. I have been selected as a featured presenter on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. This is so exciting, Grief Growers, not only because this is my first big event since launching the podcast coming back, but because I'm going to be teaching and grieving alongside a ton of other amazing grief professionals and grief growers just like you who are joining us on this week-long trip. So in a very, very short, condensed nutshell, the Bereavement Cruise is a beautiful hybrid of rest, relaxation, vacation, and permission to grieve out loud. So for one whole week from March 3rd through 10th, 2019, a large group of us stakes out a corner of the Royal Caribbean's boat, the Oasis of the Sea. And in addition to going from Haiti to Jamaica to Cozumel, Mexico, and doing everything there is to do on a cruise ship, 
There's also a complete week-long itinerary of grief workshops, events, and meetups happening to really get you connected and rooted down into a space and community where it's okay to grieve. No matter your loss, no matter how long it's been since your loss, this is a place where it's okay and we're going on vacation. So if you're hooked already and you want details, head over to comingbackcruise.com and fill out the form. This is not a registration page for the cruise. This is not you agreeing to paying anything. This is just a request for more information about the cruise. And there's a link to this in the show notes as well. It's www.comingbackcruise.com. So to go into some deeper detail, the reason that I'm doing this, the reason I'm going on the bereavement cruise, the reason I even applied is because the mission and the vibe of the cruise really spoke to me. Hearing about this event and watching the videos and reading the website, I was like, yes, this is something I absolutely wish I had in the aftermath of my loss. And I want to be a part of it. Now that I see it existing in the world, I'm like, how do I get on? Uh, I was on the phone for about an hour with the cruise's founder. Her name is Linda Fidley. And just hearing her talk about the cruise and her grief work and her awesomely cool past life as a travel agent and this deep desire to get grievers into this space where they can do the work and have the hard conversations, but also relax and have fun and enjoy life. Her enthusiasm was just so powerful and so cool to me. And she told me about all the small ways that they personalize this trip for people and the loved ones that they're honoring. And I I literally was just so blown away. You guys know all the time I say it on the show all the time that when I get chills, I know something is right for me. And I cannot tell you the amount of chills I had during this conversation because this is just so aligned with the type of work that I do and the message that I send here on coming back. So to kind of give you an idea of what happens on the cruise, they've got things like sessions every morning called Circles of Hope that are small breakout groups that are often sorted by loss and you can meet and bond with people who have similar loss stories. If you have cremains of a loved one that you have not yet spread that you'd like to scatter at sea, Linda and her entire bereavement cruise team can organize that for you. And on top of that, every single night on the ship, everyone in the bereavement group eats dinner together. So even if you've spent the day at the spa or doing an excursion and whatever port the ship is at or, um, or anything else on the boat or even just doing some of the workshops that the grief uh, bereavement cruise provides, you're always coming back together at the end of the day to your grief tribe, to everybody that is here for you to support you doing this loss. So to give you some backstory on the Bereavement Cruise, this event was started in 2016 by Linda Fidley, who runs a group called Morning Discoveries, and by Glenn Lord as well, who some of you may know as the founder of the Grief Toolbox. Their lost stories, in a nutshell, is that Linda lost her daughter and Glenn lost his son, both, I believe, somewhere in the 1990s. And each of these losses, the loss of children for each of them, flung them into this space kind of like mine, where they wanted to help other people come back from their deepest losses. Linda also has lots of experience as a travel agent, and between Glenn Lord and Linda Fidley both, they've organized or attended over 300 grief events since losing their children. So a large undertaking like the Bereavement Cruise is is super fitting for them, for their skills and their hearts. And this is the third year, 2019 is the third year that the Bereavement Cruise is setting sail. And from what they've told me, interest and participation is growing every single year, which is really, really exciting. 
This year, I'm so stoked uh, to be joined by a familiar face. If you have listened to Coming Back since episode one, you will recognize Sharon Allers is also going to be on the cruise with me, and she runs Grief Reiki. She was on episode six of Coming Back and actually was the person that told me about the bereavement cruise. So thank you, Sharon. We are going to be on the ship together. Uh, other presenters on the ship you might recognize include Linda Fell, the author of the Grief Diaries book series, which is very, very popular, both uh, on Amazon and on her website, a gentleman by the name of Mitch Carmody, who runs the very popular YouTube channel called Mr. Heartlight, and Herb Null, who is the founder of the Widowers Support Network. So again, you're kind of seeing all kinds of losses and all kinds of modalities mixed in here. So there's no religion coming in. There's no, this is only for parents or only for homicides or only for suicide or mental health or things like that. This is all losses welcome, all griefs welcome, and all modalities, whether it's Reiki or whether it's meditation or books or YouTube videos, all of it is welcome. It's just a big old group of grief growers all in a ship together. Uh, to give you the gist of the day-to-day, there's kind of, uh, I believe there's 17 or 18 now uh, presenters in total, and we're all going to be leading seminars uh, every day that we're on the ship, most of them twice or three times during the week. So everybody has an opportunity to attend. So if you miss it one day because you're going offshore for something or you want to go play bingo or you want to go to a show, you can definitely come uh, again if you miss it the first time. The workshop that I'll be presenting on the Bereavement Cruise 2019 is part writing and uh, part group meditation. And I'm so, so excited. I have created it exclusively for this trip. The title of the workshop is called Honoring Secondary Grief, Saying Goodbye to Lost Health, Creativity, or Identity After Loss, and really dives deep into some of the things I've been talking about lately on on kind of a surface level here on the show. Um, so in this workshop, I'm helping you identify a series of things that you've lost as a result of losing something else, like a death, divorce, or diagnosis. There's the massive loss, and then there's all the layers, the secondary losses, the invisible losses that come underneath it. And that's what we're identifying through this workshop. And then in the rest of the workshop, we'll do some sharing and some coming together, kind of a verbal acknowledgement and honoring of the ripple effect that grief has across all areas of our lives. Because as we all know here on the show, you never lose just one thing. Grief is not really compartmentalized. So you lose a lot of things as a result. And then for the last 10 to 15 minutes or so of the workshop, I'm going to be leading everybody in what I like to call my surrender and summon meditation. This is something that I personally created for myself when I was journaling a lot after my mom died. And now I use it a lot in my one-on-one groups and uh, group grief programs today when I meet people in person for coaching. Um, and basically, my work for the week on the bereavement cruise is I'm here to help you uncover the losses you haven't spoken about yet. Maybe not the reason that you're on the cruise, but the abilities, the material possessions, the ideas of home, the hopes, dreams, expectations, creativity that you lost as a result of this big loss. So my role on the ship and so many roles of the other presenters as well is giving voice to these unspoken losses. And that's very much always at the heart of what I do here anyway on coming back is giving voice to these things that we haven't spoken about yet. And that's really the theme of this workshop is honoring that secondary, that invisible, those layered losses. 
So this trip is going to be full of seminars because that's just my workshop, but there's 18 more of me or 17 or 18 more of me all on this boat. And then you add on to that the group bereavement dinners and the memorial karaoke nights and the starlit honoring walks and the scattering cremains at sea ceremonies. And altogether within the course of the week, you have a lot of ways that you can honor your grief and your loved one on the bereavement cruise. And then pile on top of that the shore excursions and the ship's activities and the beautiful weather, and you have a super, super powerful potent combination for not only making memories, but really ensuring that you're transported to a different mental headspace, one that says, relax, you're allowed to be here, you're allowed to express, this is a place for you to rest. And in describing this to people lately and describing the bereavement cruise to people, I've been kind of summing it up as part grief support group, part resort, and part summer camp. It's a holistic experience that gives you everything that a cruise does with the added benefit of being a safe and loving space to set down, embrace, or express your grief. Just really carving the time out, not just for you, but for your grief as well. Grief growers, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this trip. This is, this is just so big. This is the next big thing that I'm looking forward to. So I really, really hope that you'll join me on the ship. We are still selling tickets for the ship and we can do some really, really powerful work out at sea. Grief growers, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this trip. I do hope that you'll consider joining me and consider just doing some really, really powerful grief work out at sea. Again, for more information, you can visit comingbackcruise.com and enter your information on that page. Uh, The woman I spoke about earlier, Linda Finley, will personally be in touch with you. And she is such a joy over email and over phone uh, to talk to. She's got all the answers, including information about pricing, because pricing changes as Royal Caribbean changes their pricing, uh, as well as things like passport requirements. Can I bring my pets? Can I bring my kids? What do I wear? Things of that nature. And she will be more than happy to guide you towards whatever the best setup will be for you. And again, that link is www.comingbackcruise.com. And that's in the show notes. Of course, if you have any questions about my role on the cruise as a presenter, you can email me, shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, or you can join me as well this coming Monday, June 11th at one o'clock central time for Facebook Live, where I'll be talking all about the bereavement cruise, what it is, how it got started, what I'll be presenting and doing, and when it is, and uh, and the course that I'll be presenting on the ship, kind of a deeper dive into that. All you have to do is like my Facebook page, Shelby for Scythia, Intuitive Grief Guide to be known notified when the broadcast begins. Next up, I'm talking to Kim Skerritt, owner and founder of Silver Muzzle Cottage, a nonprofit that helps dogs die knowing that they are loved. After leaving her job as an engineer with one of the big three auto manufacturers, Kim Skerritt moved to northern Michigan in 2004 and began working with dogs, first as a groomer, then as a trainer and physical rehabilitator. Then she started a therapy dog group called Pals with Paws in 2009 and opened a cage-free boarding facility called Bowser's by the Bay in 2011. In 2015, she founded her biggest endeavor yet, Silver Muzzle Cottage Rescue and Hospice, a nonprofit that helps senior, disabled, and sick dogs leave this earth knowing that they are loved and cared for. 
Kim has two dogs, Miley and Dakota, that keep her and the Silver Muzzle Cottage dogs young and active. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, and I am so excited to have you here. I have to tell all of my listeners, I randomly saw a video for Silver Muzzle Cottage on Upworthy while I was scrolling through Instagram one night. I could not sleep, and seeing the stories of these senior dogs and seeing the way that they're they're treated and, and just ushered into this beautiful care leading up to their death just totally blew my mind. And I was so excited. I was almost jumping up and down in bed again at two in the morning thinking, oh my gosh, this is what I do. I have to reach out. And I'm so excited to have you on the show, especially because pet loss has been such a theme that's been popping up, not only in my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden, but on this podcast as well, uh, as it's been going for a little bit over a year now. So Kim, first of all, welcome to the show. And second of all, would love to know how you got started doing what you're doing and and kind of how you can work with loss, especially loss of beings as wholehearted as animals over and over and over again. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's actually one of my favorite subjects to talk about what I do. Um, I, you know, like many people out there, I love my animals. I love all animals, but I have this really... Uh, you know, just this affinity for the senior older dogs, and they just really have grabbed my heart. Um, I I was this relatively normal person out there. I had a relatively normal life. I was a engineer for one of the big three auto man- manufacturers, and uh, was just super unhappy and uh, not at all fulfilled in what I was doing. I was following all the societal norms, go get a great job. And, you know, if you could work with one of the great big three, great and make a big paycheck and all that. But, oh my goodness, I was so unhappy. It just was not my calling. It was not my passion. And I knew life was just passing me by. So push came to shove. I was kind of forced into um, making a make or break decision. I took the leap, left my job and really wanted to focus on, okay, if I were to follow my passions, what would it be? And I knew it would be working with dogs in some capacity. Um, in the past, I'd done training and I'd done grooming and that sort of thing. So uh, long story short, I ended up with a facility where I was doing cage-free boarding. I was doing training. I was doing uh, grooming. I, I had a uh, number of people working for me. And on the property that I was leasing, there was this building that was severely underutilized. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way to utilize this to expand the business and add to it. And about that time, um, I'd been working with local rescues, doing some rehab work, and um, really got into social media and linked in with several groups throughout Michigan and kept seeing this pattern uh, more often than I thought it should happen, where I would see somebody post about a 14 or 15-year-old dog needing a home, and it just blew me away. And I thought, what is that? What, why does a 14-year-old dog need a home? And, it, you know, okay, that's a fluke. Someone must have died, whatever. Well, then it just kept happening. And I thought, this is a huge issue. This isn't just a fluke. It's not a once-in-a-while thing. This is huge. So I did my homework. I hopped on PetFinder, typed in my criteria of senior dogs within 500 miles of um, Traverse City area, where we're in the area we're from. And... Up came 938 homeless senior dogs within 500 miles. And I thought, holy cow, this 
is a problem. So I thought that's what I need to do with this building. These dogs are getting euthanized because nobody wants them. So they've given their lives to somebody. I need to give them a place to land so they don't die alone in a shelter. So that's how we started. Um, there were many things I, I wasn't, uh, I was expecting, but wasn't prepared for. And I guess it's a little bit like uh, you think you're ready for a parent to pass or a sibling to pass or a friend to pass, but you're never really ready <laughs> until it actually happens. Mm -hmm. There's so many things come up that you're not expecting emotionally and otherwise. And that kind of happened with this. You know, we're taking on dogs. Uh, our criteria is three years or less to live based on their breed. So we're taking in 12 and 13-year-old Chihuahuas or five-year-old Great Danes. Um, you know, 14-year-old Golden Retrievers, 15-year-old uh, Cocker Spaniels, you know, so the really old sick dogs and hospice cases. So um, our goal was to make sure these dogs left the world knowing somebody loved them. So it's particularly important if the dog has had somewhat of a neglectful life over its lifespan or just someone who had great intentions, but it just didn't have a good quality of life. So our goal is to let them leave this world with a whole different perspective. And uh, But what I found was happening is, wow, these dogs are not lasting very long. And in some cases really soon, like uh, 10 days after we get them. Uh, I think the shortest time frame was two hours. We had these dogs two oh, hours wow. and we had to say goodbye. But it, I really, it quickly became um, an issue, just I'm sure very much like uh, with humans. It was more surviving it over and over and over as I've had to do is really more about the mindset going into it. So, when you get your own pet and it's young, you, I think, kind of take for granted. You, you, you say, well, you know, mentally you might subconsciously think, well, I'm going to have this dog for a long time and it's part of my family and here we go. But when you take on a senior dog and you know that they may have two days, two weeks, two months, two years, you know you're limited. Um, the, mentally, I make myself very aware of the fact that this dog is here for a limited amount of time and I have a job to do. And my job is to give this dog a great life for however long it has. And when it leaves, yes, there are the tears. I do not think there's any way to avoid that unless you're just as cold as a stone. Uh, you know, we cry when they leave. That is for our loss. But we are so happy and grateful. And we have a little ceremony. And we thank the dog for being a part of our lives, uh, for bringing such great energy into the world and, you know, making somebody else happy before us. And then we pass them on. And we truly look at that as the final gift that we give to them. And the tears are for our loss, not for theirs. So that's kind of how we do it. It helps us each and every time and um, to just not focus on how sad it is or how, how bad they had it. It's just let's give them something great now and go forward from there. That's so beautiful. And I know before we got on the mic today, we talked a lot about how Silver Muzzle Cottage is 
based on a lot of volunteer help. And I'm kind of wondering how you onboard people and prepare them for the work that they're about to do, because it's true that there is this mindset, especially even going into hospice or nursing homes or other places where you can volunteer saying, I'm volunteering with people I may never see again, or in this case, dogs I may never see again. So how do you kind of prepare people, especially ones uh, who have never really been that close to death to experience what you experience every single day? I think uh, it's not anything that I personally do. The dogs do it, actually. Uh, They come to the cottage. Some want to just look and see and meet the dogs. Others actually say, what can I do to help? Uh, The help is always great because there is a lot to do here. We are cleaning constantly. I can't even tell you. We probably clean the facility three times a day, uh, mopping floors, sweeping, and and whatnot. Um, And I think... I think what happens is they come in, they fall in love with them because they're just so incredibly sweet. These dogs don't ask for anything. They're really, they, they love to sleep. They love to be petted. They don't have the high energy uh, playfulness. They, you know, throw a ball and all that stuff. They, they just want to be loved on. And some of them struggle with mobility issues. So they're happy if you just sit down on the bed with them and love on them. And some of them will get out and take their very slow walks. And so the volunteers come in and they're able to give that way. And I think they're fulfilled in that way. And then by the time they come back next, we may have lost one of them. And while they're sad, they always seem really happy that they even had a chance to meet the dog. And they they understand what the mission is and they understand where the dog came from. And so it's really about, um, okay, who can I help next? Now, that is not to say we have had some volunteers come in. Uh, they'll they'll come and walk a dog or spend time with a dog, taking on different adventures uh, in an effort to try and give this dog a, a really wonderful life. And they'll spend a lot of time with it, and then the dog passes. And it is very hard for some people, and they just break away, and we might not see them again, or it might be a while before we see them. But um, everybody deals with it differently. And I, I refer to us quite often, volunteers and dogs, as we are a family. So we have a private volunteer page on Facebook, and primarily we use that space. So a lot of times I'll give preliminary announcements, by the way, so and such and such a dog, uh, we're going to have their send-off ceremony on Friday. Be there to join us if you can. And so uh, if they can make it great, we do have a select group. They show up each and every time. And we surround the dog with lots of positive energy. Thank them for being a part of our lives. Thank them for bringing great energy into the world and being of service to others. And then we send them on their way and um, open that door for another one to come in. And so some people understand that and they like being a part of that, knowing that, you know, they made a difference to this dog. I'm wondering who designed the send-off ceremony and I guess how did you come up with everything that was going to be involved in it? Because there is, you know, a lot of places you can take a dog and the dog gets put down and that's the end of that and there's no like real ritual around it. Um, right. And, and this seems a lot more thoughtful. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I did. I I came up with that. Uh, Our very first um, hospice dog was a dog named Dusty. And Dusty was this, he looked like a miniature yellow lab. He he was just way smaller than your average yellow lab, but he looked exactly like one. His owners had uh, just sent him astray when he was picked up and, and uh, placed in the shelter, Some probably via social media. They found their owners, his owners, and called and said, hey, we've got your dog here. And they said, yeah, you know, we got a new puppy and they're not really getting along, so you can keep him. Well, um, Dusty was an intact male, so they shelter, made arrangements for him to be neutered. And while they, when they attempted to put him under anesthesia, they discovered they couldn't get the trach tube in because he had a very large melanoma at the base of his tongue. And when they tested it, they determined it was a very aggressive form of oral cancer and they gave him six months to live. So, Oddly enough, that very same day they got his test results back, they also received our brochure. So they immediately called us and said, can you take this dog in as hospice? And we said, absolutely. And this dog had the most fascinating life. He had two or three volunteers a day coming to walk him and take him places. He went to all of our events, and it was fantastic. Well, we knew... Uh, by talking with the vet what some of the symptoms would be before this thing started to progress. And one of the things are, is that we do is we never let them suffer. So if we can send them off on their way prior to suffering, then that's what we do. Um, because one day of suffering is one day too long. So just as he started to show symptoms that the disease was really starting to progress, we said, okay, let's, let's do this. And I put a call out to the volunteers and said, hey, I'm going to say goodbye to Dusty on Friday. Would you like to join me? And 11 people showed up. And one lady brought him a lay of daisies to put around his neck. And we laid the blankets out. It was a beautiful day. Uh, We laid him out on the front lawn of the facility under the tree, shaded tree. The vet came. um, And it was one of the most uh, profoundly beautiful experiences. And I said, every one of these dogs deserves us. So that's kind of what we do from now on. It was, uh, and I think you'll appreciate this and your listeners will appreciate this. As Dusty was given, it was a two injection process to euthanize him. As a lot of people may know, the first one was a sedative to just relax him. And so he was given the sedative and just as the vet was giving him the final injection, which usually takes about 10 to 15 seconds before it stops the heart. Um, I had my face buried in his neck and I was just whispering, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all of a sudden in this perfectly still day, uh, not a cloud in the sky, all of a sudden this big gust of wind came blowing through. And I heard somebody say, did you feel that? And I thought, myself, I thought, oh, good, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And as soon as it blew through, uh, it was gone. And I looked at the vet, and she said, he's gone. And I thought, there he goes. <laughs> there he goes. And every time I will say this, whether it is legitimate or not, uh, every time we have uh, helped a dog cross over, Uh, We've always had this monarch butterfly that would fly into our play yard and fly around all the dogs. It's on concrete and asphalt, so it's not like there's grass and flowers there. But this 
butterfly would fly in and it would light on the, the ground and all the dogs would play around it. Nobody ever bothered it. And it would flit and flutter around the dog's heads and they just stare at it intently. But every time we let a dog cross over within two days, a second one would join that and two would come into the yard. And so we have this saying that we, as a dog passes, we hope we see a butterfly. <laughs> so It's like you're literally summoning the butterflies. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's needed. You know, there could be a whole other bunch of reasons that uh, other people who know butterflies and their habits and whatnot would say, ah, no, that's, <laughs> that's not what's happening. But, you know, those are the little things that we do uh, that just help bring comfort to whoever wants to believe that, whoever feels strongly that our, the spirit of our animals stay with us. And I do believe that. Um, I'm just glad I don't have to clean up after them again anymore because that would be way too much for me. <laughs> I already have my 15 to 20 I'm cleaning up after. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's you know, <laughs> come back as smaller, more compact okay. butterflies. That's right. That's right. Come back as doggy. Stay with me. Just don't leave your messes behind. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's too funny. I'm wondering uh, because working with grief myself, and I know interviewing so many other folks on the show that work either in end of life, death care, grief care experiences, it kind of tends to like soften you up as a person. You go from hardened clay into like really moldy butter all of a sudden or over yeah. time. And yeah. I'm wondering kind of what lessons both you and your volunteers take from working at Silver Muzzle Cottage into the real world and working with people either in death or death care situations or just in normal everyday interactions? How does it come into the everyday with humans? Um, one thing I hear all the time uh, is people hug their dogs more because they, they, you come here, you see these dogs, many of whom have been uh, really neglected. Others came from great homes. Um, but the other thing it does is it reminds them, take care of your loved ones, including your four-legged friends, because we will take care of our property, we take care of our money, and we make sure that's all, you know, got a, a new owner after we pass. But everybody forgets about their pets. And so it's that's another reminder that, you know, many of these, these pets were left behind and when somebody passed or went into a nursing home and nobody in the family wanted them and they were just never, it was, their care was never arranged for. So that's another takeaway that some people get. As far as the grieving process goes, um, I will say the folks that tend to stick with us the longest and participate the most really have a very, very good um, uh, perspective on things when it comes to these dogs passing. Um, the one gal, um, her, her common, um, mantra, if you will, is bless and release, bless them and then let them go. Let them go out. Don't har don't harbor the mournful feelings, you know, grieve as you will, but, you know, they've been blessed. We've been blessed to have them. Let them move on and enjoy the afterlife and make room for somebody else so that we can bless and release them. 
So um, we, we as a family, um, really provide a lot of support to one another. And there have been a few dogs, you know, I think everybody's partial to one or so that they that come into the system and they'll say, oh, I'm just so attached to this dog or I really, really love this dog. And I've done that myself. You know, you try not to have favorites, but every so often one just grabs your heart and doesn't let go. And so when that dog passes, it is particularly hard compared to others. Um, and we're there for each other with that. So it's we have our own little grief support group, if you will. And we remind each other that there is the business of, at hand of rescuing and we can mourn, but there's a time for that. And there's a time to move on and take on somebody new. So um, I don't know that it for our animals if anybody has taken anything away and been able to translate that to humans. But we do offer a program called Seniors for Seniors. So what we do with that is our senior dogs, we take them once a week to area nursing care facilities and they visit with them, uh, the residents at that home. And I think we've seen there also the joy that these dogs bring and we realize they have a purpose. And again, it's, you know, understanding the other human side of it as people become seniors and they need the extra care. Um, they get lonely, just like these dogs get lonely. And um, they're there. It's kind of a win-win for everybody. They're there and they share in each other's love and energy and compassion. And it's just absolutely a beautiful thing. And we've got an outstanding group of volunteers that do this every week. It sounds like you are all keeping yourselves so very busy with the work that you do and also just so intensely focused on your mission here. And I'm fascinated because I have recently found out that there's another podcast in the grief sphere that's specifically for veterinarians and folks who work in animal care fields uh, called ah. the Compassion Fatigue Podcast. And it's wow. about the potential that animal workers especially have to get burned out doing caring for animals because there's there seems to be so much more of a heart investment because mm -hmm. there's an unconditional love involved and so there's less bitterness as opposed mm -hmm. to sometimes releasing our more difficult human relationships. And so I'm wondering what kind of maybe tools or practices that you have in place personally as, as the person who runs Silver Muzzle Cottage uh, to not get burned out, to prevent compassion fatigue. Well, that's a very good question because I actually just came or I'm coming out of that. I had a very rough winter. Uh, and I'm, and part of that was me and, you know, bad on me. I am a very driven person. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I say, uh, typical of me, I couldn't just rescue a senior dog. I had to start a rescue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that is, that is so me. I know this you know, all too well. <laughs> I can't just groom my own dog. I have to become a groomer and take on other people's dogs. And I'm a little workaholic. And so people like me, me is very difficult. Uh, saying no is very difficult. I've become much better at it. But the thing about rescue, and it is, it's extremely high burnout. Um, it's compassion fatigue is huge because yes, you've got your emotions getting pulled in 12 directions. You've got, uh, and I hate to be a negative Nelly, but you, you see all of this sadness. You see, um, you, you see the other side, you know, there's there's three groups of people that 
give their pets up. There are those that um, would never give them up and they love them right up until the end. Then there's the group that will give them up and it's the worst thing they've ever had to do and it's the worst sacrifice they'll ever make. There's a group that has great intentions. The My dog is uh, on her last legs, probably isn't going to live much longer. I need to rehome her. And I think it's a, it has more to do with, um, I can't watch her die. Um, mm-hmm. They won't say that, but I get that sense. And then there's the group, um, frankly, and I'll just put this bluntly, they should probably never own animals. They're property. They don't really care about them. Uh, they're neglected. They're abused. They're discarded like garbage. Um, and so you see all of that. You see the worst sides of life and and sometimes the worst sides of people. And then on top of that, you have a million demands on you coming at you from all sides. Um, I, you know, Most of the rescue groups out there are all volunteer organizations. So these people have families. They have jobs and, and any amount of time they're donating to the rescue is their own free time. Sometimes it's one hour, sometimes it's a whole day. And you get people calling you going, I have called twice and nobody has bothered to call me back. And you just kind of go, wow, with the 50 things I have to do, I am so sorry. And you, you end up feeling like you're getting beat up from every side you know you can't you can't save a dog you can't help out a shelter you and and you end up taking on responsibility and that's that's how it kind of starts you just give of every aspect of yourself you give it till there's nothing left and then you go oh my gosh i can't function anymore what has happened well it it took me a while to realize what had happened um running a rescue is truly a full-time job there is no way about it. You can't do it alone. But for a very long time, I was doing it alone. And um, I yes, I have some volunteers that come in. But like I said, I could go a week sometimes and not have any volunteers. And uh, yet I still have responsibilities of my job. And I still have responsibilities to my family. Um, I have a father in a nursing home. My mother passed away in November. So life goes on for me, too. But, you know, in this microwave society that we live in, in the me, me, me generation, it's all about, hey, I was trying to call you and you were not available. And so people like me feel huge guilt. So I've really had to step back and say, I am one person and I'm sorry you don't understand, but I am one person. And I am doing the very best I know how to do. And the first priority I have is me. And if that means I have to say no to a dog, that means I say no to a dog. Because if I'm not any good, then the dogs will not benefit from anything I can provide them. So that was kind of a hard lesson learned for me this year. I am coming out of it. Uh, Sunlight has helped (laughs) here in northern Michigan. Oh, winters are hard here. They're very long and we are all low on vitamin D. (laughs) That's all I can say. Yes. And that was brand new to me to find that podcast because I was just looking for other, I'm always on the lookout for other grief casters in the field Mm -hmm. um, doing podcasting. But I I said compassion fatigue and I said, oh, that exists kind of almost in every industry, especially if it's public facing or service, you know, related. But this one was explicitly related to the fields of animal care. And I was like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's pretty incredible. And and you're right because if you see if you see too many heartbreaking things altogether and and fail to take care of yourself and or if you're under 
this pressure from society to be there's there seems to be this myth that like um nonprofit work or service work is like a self-reinforcing that you will be nourished by the good that you do oh, and granted yeah. there's like granted <laughs> there is some truth in that but there's still yes it's still so important to just be able to step away and be separate from that and get out from under the pressure of it at some point yeah. and, and and yeah there's that myth that circulates that like well the work that you do is is nourishing in and of itself and i'm like it's still a job it's still 80 20 yeah. like 80 percent of the time it's fantastic 20 yeah, percent of the time i am gonna be burnt out man so yeah exactly yes. in fact i i have really reeled back from social media because uh you know, I, I'm on it, uh, my personal page, not as often. Um, I'll glance through it, but I'm not heavy into it. Um, I'm on it primarily because our Silver Muzzle Cottage Facebook page is our main source of networking for the animals and for various topics. And that's how a majority of people reach out and make contact with us. And uh, we give it, our dogs exposure that way. And it works very well. But, you know, we have over 20,000 followers, which means over 20,000 opinions. And you wow, almost get yeah. to hear all of them. And so even when you are done with the dogs at the end of the day, people are like, you know, uh, I called twice and I haven't heard back from you. And I think, okay, I was busy with the dogs all day and 20 calls came in. So, okay, I'm going to sit down from five to six and I'm going to address the phone calls and uh, I might get through half, which means 10 are getting carried over to the next day where I get 20 more calls and now I have 30 calls again. So that is just my phone calls. That doesn't include my emails, my Facebook messages. And so I used to stay up until I got 90% of the work accomplished and I would be up till 11 p.m. and then I would get up at three or four and I'd start it all over again. And I just realized I am not doing anything for me. Somebody said, well, if you had a day off, which I didn't take for many years, um, what would you do with a day off? And I looked at him and I said, I have no idea because mm -hmm. it's been so long since I've done that. I knew then that I was kind of in trouble when I, I lost sight of me and what was important to me and what uh, the things I like to do um, that made me who I am and my varying interests and stuff, I lost all of it. And I just gave, 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 gave until I had really very little left to give. But I kept plugging away because I had to. So it made the healing process longer. But that would be my suggestion to anybody in a caregiving situation, whether it be for humans or animals, is if you start to just feel that burnout, that being tired all the time, the, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore feeling. Um, you have to step away and the world we're still, will still revolve around you and um, with or without you, it's still going to go on. So, but I think a lot of us feel the guilt, you know, I got to keep doing it. There's one more dog that needs me and there will always be people demanding your time always. And so it's up to us to provide self-care to the point that benefits us, I think. And um, I lost sight of that. Um, I got caught up and lost my way a little bit. And um, 
in the end, yes, animals are helped, but uh, it's not going to last long if, if I'm falling apart. So <laughs> I had to really reel it in and get myself together. Uh, and it feels way better. I appreciate everything more. I appreciate the animals more. I appreciate what I'm doing more. I appreciate the people I work with and the adapters and, and every aspect of it more uh, when I'm in the right frame of mind. And so there's just so many things that are important about that. Self-care is just number one. This might be an interesting question to bring up uh, with you mentioning your retirement, but what do you want for your own life as you approach death? Ooh, um, whether anybody else knows it or not, I want to know that I made a difference. That's it. I just want to know that I made a difference. I don't have to have a uh, hundred people at my funeral. I don't need them to sing special songs or read special verses. I just want people to say, Hey, you know what? That lady made a difference. And that's it. That's my only requirement. Oh, that's per- I love that response. <laughs> beyond that. Yeah. Beyond that, they can do whatever they want. I'm not going to, uh, I'll be watching from a distance and won't have control over any of it. So <laughs> it's just, you're like, what do I care? I'll be dead. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly. I'll be watching from afar and making fun of them. So very detail. I'd love to die slowly so I can say goodbye and give things away. And I've had people say, I don't care. Just dig a hole in the backyard. <laughs> so I love asking that question. Yeah, Some people yeah. think it's a little more. That's a great question. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I I I hope that uh, you know that it's it's something that uh, I don't want people to mourn uh, for long periods of time. You know, cry, be sad, but then hey, life is worth living. After that, live your own life. Uh, just remember me from every so often if you adopt a dog or you know go hug your senior and just say, yeah, that's what Kim would have done. So. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's perfect. It for me. I'm wondering, this is kind of a question that's been popping into my brain the entire time we've been talking. And I don't know how else to phrase it other than, do you think these dogs know what you're doing for them? Oh, absolutely. I call it gratefulness. And I can't, you know, nobody will truly know if they're grateful because that is a complex emotion. And we, we do now know that animals are sentient beings and they've, they've got happy, sad, uh, angry, fearful, the basics. But grateful, that, that kind of gets a little muddy in the world of research. I truly feel they're grateful. I see it. I, I I see a dog that has had a really horrible life, and it's very evident by their physical appearance, their uh, overall demeanor. They've been neglected, and I'll I'll tell you here. Here's a great story if we have time. Here, um, we took a dog in named Willow, and uh, actually her name was Willa. the The shelter named her Willa. Beautiful little husky mix. She'd been found, or owner relinquished, uh, although the guy turned her in, said, I found this dog. They were pretty sure it was the guy's dog. And um, they they immediately called and, and said, you know, this dog is in rough shape. That's uh, shelter code for... I don't think this dog is going to live very long. So we said, yes, absolutely, we'll take it. And the dog came to us, and as she was walking around in our yard, you would call her name, and she would look at you and then turn away and walk away. 
She had absolutely no interest in people, absolutely no interest in other dogs. She had no idea how humans could benefit her in any way. And she was also very, very sick. You could see she was emaciated. Her coat was in bad shape. We had her vetted right away. She had multiple, multiple, multiple things wrong with uh, several major organs being impacted. And we could have euthanized her right then and there. It it would have been uh, a real uh, merciful step for her. But what I said was, I would like to give this dog until Friday. And if we can't achieve what we want to achieve by Friday, we will just let her go regardless. But in this one week time, I uh, I want us to pull out all the stops for this dog. Uh, before she leaves this world, I want her to understand that she is loved. So I put a call out to all my volunteers and said, we have this this mission. And so one by one they came, and this dog had somebody with her uh, at least 14 hours a day. Uh, Whether they sat with her on her bed and just petted her, took her out for potty breaks, or took her out for very short walks. She couldn't walk very far. And every day, every day, every day for three days, somebody sat with this dog. And one day there were two volunteers in the room. One was sitting on the bed with her. The other one was on the other side of the room. And the dog, and I happened to be there to witness this, and the dog got up from her bed, walked over to the other volunteer, and nudged her hand. And we looked at each other like, "Ah, mission accomplished. She gets it. She understands that humans mean love, means compassion, means gentleness and she understood what she could get from humans she had a great day that day we saw tail wags from her she you know in her own way smiled at us a few times and then the next day she crashed and we let her go and we said you know what she got what she needed from this world we before she left this world we made sure she knew she was loved and we truly felt she was grateful She was grateful for the time we gave her. She was grateful to know that we were with her in the end. Um, And I see it all the time. I see it that when the dogs come in, they sometimes they are healed by the love. Uh, Dogs that we didn't think would last a week end up living two years because they're loved and cared for and they're getting the um, medical care they need. They're getting it, but the love is it. I am convinced that 50% of the cure is just love. I've got chills as you say that because it is the truth. It's just it's the ultimate truth. It's true it for dogs. It's true for cats. It's true for humans. I mean, all of us. Mm-hmm. And we hear these stories of, of people mm-hmm. continuing to hold on, but also these stories of people being able to let go, but it literally shifts the energy in the room. And I think that's kind of who you are in the world as an alchemist of pre, mm-hmm. pre-death for animals. Yeah. Oh, what a cool role you hold, truly. I'm kind of curious now, uh, as we're as we're wrapping up the day, I would love to know what it is that you all need most at Silver Muzzle Cottage, so what people can do to support your mission, and then where they can find you, online or in person. Well, we are um, 
always in need of funds. Uh, the average cost per dog coming into our program is $350, and we, we do fully vet them. We have full blood panel run. We do fecal and urine analysis, and we want a very complete picture of what's going on with this dog. Uh, many have not had good veterinary care over time, and we try to get them as healthy as possible before we adopt them out or just for their own comfort level. And so that usually averages out around $350. And that doesn't include any tests that may need to be run to determine what their problems are. That doesn't include dentals, which is really a big ticket item. So the cost can go up towards $1,200 per dog. But our average vet bill is between two and $4,000 a month. And um, it just depending on the cases we take in. So uh, financial support is always number one at the top of our list. We do have an Amazon Smile wish list going. So if somebody wants to support us anytime they shop on Amazon, if they do it through Amazon Smile, which is just like Amazon, it's just the nonprofit side, uh, a percentage of Every uh, purchase will go towards the charity of their choice. And, of course, we hope they choose Silver Muzzle Cottage. Um, and then they can find us um, two places online, silvermuzzlecottage.com. Uh, is our website. Uh, a lot of people will go there to see which dogs we have available for adoption. And uh, we don't put them up there. It would be a little cost exorbitant um, to have our web guy constantly swapping out the pictures, either as dogs pass or new dogs come in or get adopted out. And so we do a lot of that on our Facebook page, which is just silvermuzzle.cottage on Facebook. And that's where we do a lot of our announcements are there. It's, it's our main source of marketing and networking. Um, even dogs that aren't in our rescue, we will sometimes uh, network them on our page, maybe for another shelter or for uh, another rescue. Uh, the whole goal is to uh, respond to seniors in need, whether they're ours or somebody else's. And of course, if people want to see the dogs that we have up for adoption, that is the best place to do it. Uh, lots of things in the work. So contribute, contribute, contribute. If they can't contribute to us, I encourage you go out and foster for a senior dog. Be a foster. Provide that dog a home for whatever time it has. Um, I know some people say, oh, I just couldn't do it. It'd be so sad to only have the dog for such a short time. But uh, wow, what a service you do for that animal, though, to give them a great home for a year or whatever time it has left. And I always say, you know, it's going to be sad no matter how long you've had your dog, whether it's been 14 years or one year, it's sad. You're sad because you don't want to lose them. But, you know, there's so many seniors, uh, so many of them need homes. And the best way to help is to work with a rescue, work with a shelter, let them know you're interested in, in giving a home to a senior. And they would be more than happy to accommodate you. So um, that's how they can do that or just, you know, go work for a rescue, help fundraise, do whatever you can. Uh, we're all in need of help. Bless and release. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. There is absolutely no way that you cannot be reached. Even just a quick Google search of Silver Muzzle Cottage, I, you get so many results. Absolutely. And, and yeah. you know, grief growers, tune into this. If you have your own dogs, if you adore dogs, if you're in the Michigan area or would like to go visit, just uh, any any way that you can help is so appreciated. So, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today on Coming Back to talk about pet loss, but especially caretaking in, in the last few years of our lives and how important it is to not only create 
community around that, but to find symbolism and then to know that we can keep doing this over and over and over again. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much to Kim Skerritt for taking a break from caretaking for all those beautiful dogs and hopping on the mic with me here on Coming Back. Kim comes back from the loss of her many silver muzzle cottage dogs by finding symbolism in butterflies, listening to the wisdom of one of her volunteers who says bless and release, and by taking breaks to ease what so many caretakers call compassion fatigue. You can find a link to the Silver Muzzle Cottage where you can donate or send doggy supplies from Kim's Amazon wish list in the show notes. Join me for Facebook Live this Monday, June 11th at 1 o'clock Central Time where we'll talk all about the Bereavement Cruise 2019. You can find a link to the Bereavement Cruise where you can request more information in the show notes or at www.comingbackcruise.com. If this podcast has transformed the way you see grief and loss, please consider supporting me and the work that I do over on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia, where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards for doing so. If you liked what you heard this week, you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and by telling a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you always and forever to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby for Scythia, or simply shelbyforscythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforscythia.com, subject line, podcast. As always, my beautiful grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you, I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world, and I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.